Thanks, Shah. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, here in, in King's Church, we've been working our way through John's Gospel. And this week, we've reached John chapter 17. Uh, but before we read our, our passage of Scripture together this morning, I'd like to take a moment to recap and to summarise where we've got to so far. You see, John was an actual person. Uh, he lived a real life, albeit a long time ago. Uh, he was a real person who knew Jesus personally. And in John 20 and verse 31, he tells us that the reason he wrote this gospel account was that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing we might have life in his name. John wants us to discover the life of God that is revealed to us and made available to us in Jesus. That by believing in Jesus, we might not perish along with this broken world, but rather enter into and experience the beautiful life of God's loving rule and reign. John wants us to understand that the only way we can truly know God and enter into relationship with him is through Jesus. Jesus, he announces right at the beginning in John chapter 1, is God. He is a man fully human like us. He is our teacher and our example. He is the sacrificial lamb of God who will die in our place to take away our sin. He is the faithful and obedient son of God who lives in loving relationship and union with the father. He is the king of God's kingdom. He is God making himself known to us. And all this is kind of hidden in or, or, or introduced in John chapter one. And then in John verses two, chapters two to 10, um, we're presented by John with a series of carefully selected signs and controversial claims from Jesus to establish who he really is. And this all builds to the truly amazing sign in chapters 11 and 12, where Jesus travels to Jerusalem knowing by this point that it will mean certain death for him to raise his friend Lazarus, whom he loved, from the dead. And then chapters 13 to 17 all focus on the last night and the final words of Jesus. And in chapter 13, Jesus washes his disciples' feet and he insists that acts of loving generosity and service will be the hallmark of all of his followers. And then in chapters 14 to 16, John recounts a monologue, an uninterrupted speech from Jesus that highlights and emphasises a number of things. Firstly, the beautiful and loving relationship within God himself as Father, Son and Holy Spirit that God wants to draw all people into. Secondly, that Jesus' disciples are those who abide or remain in God's love through loving obedience to him in loving one another. By doing so, they manifest God's life. They, they put him on display like fruit on a vine. Thirdly, that the Holy Spirit will empower Christ's followers to continue his mission through the kind of love, generosity and service that we've been talking about, as well as through their witness to the truth and their proclamation of a new way of living in God. And fourthly, that Christ's followers will face great opposition, but that they can be assured of his victory. And so to chapter 17, where Jesus turns his attention from explaining all of this to his disciples and prays to his father in heaven. 
And here we are invited, along with the disciples, into a beautiful moment of great intimacy. Jesus is about to face his arrest and his trial and his crucifixion. He is about to suffer and lay down his life so that we might find true life in him, that we might be saved and restored to God's true purpose and intention for our lives. So we might assume that what Jesus prays here is what really matters, what is really important to him. So John chapter 17, after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. You see, this is eternal life, the kind of life that God longs for everyone to enjoy, to know God. And the way to know God is through knowing Jesus. Verse 6, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. And now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. No one has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that scripture would be fulfilled." You see, Jesus is about to go to the Father, but his followers will remain in the world. So he prays for their protection. But he prays for their protection in a very specific way. Jesus prays that they may be one, one with him and one with each other. Isn't that interesting that that? The area that Jesus feels we will most need protecting in is in our union with him and in our unity with one another. In verse 13, he continues, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. 
As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus prays for us, for his disciples, that we would be sanctified, cleansed and set apart as holy. Jesus wants his followers to stand out in this world. He wants them to reveal the light and the life of God in the same way that he does, just as the Father sent Jesus into the world to reveal all that is good and glorious about himself. Even so, Jesus is now sending his disciples into the world. For this has always been the plan and purpose of God. This is what all of us were born for. And this is what we are restored to in Jesus. Verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Jesus is praying for me and for you. Picture the scene um, for a moment. Jesus is praying to the Father with his disciples gathered around him and he is praying for you. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus is praying that we will be brought into that same beautiful relationship and unity that he enjoys with the Father. That that kind of love and unity with him and each other will exist in the church to such an extent that it will reveal the love of God to our world. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have that in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them what really matters to Jesus what lies at the heart of this prayer is communion that word communion means to share or participate Jesus participates in the divine life of God. He, he exists in perfect relationship with God, the Father. He is in the Father and the Father is in him. They're distinct and yet they share the same life. So if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. If you've encountered Jesus, you've encountered God. And now, through this prayer, Jesus longs in accordance with the will of the Father to draw us into that same life. He wants us to share and participate in that same life-giving relationship, us in him and him in us. 
He wants us to have communion with him. And what is more, for Jesus, that clearly involves communion with one another. We can only find loving relationship and union with him in the context of loving relationship and unity with one another. Remaining in his love looks like obedience to his command to love and serve one another. And that way the world will be able to see and experience the love and the glory of God. Think again for a moment about that vine with its branches. In this picture of Christian fruitfulness that Jesus gives us, the branches all exist together in one vine. We're not called to witness to him alone, but rather the way we live together forms the very basis of our witness. Right now, we're not able to meet for our regular Sunday church gatherings. And whilst I miss seeing my church family, I've actually found this whole season quite a sobering time because it's made me ask questions about the quality and depth of our communion and fellowship. It's made me ask questions about the true extent to which we share our lives together in loving and serving one another. The way we live pure and holy lives together as we love and serve one another is supposed to make us stand out from this world. This life of God on display in us is supposed to be exceptional. It's even supposed to provoke opposition. It's not the quality of our music and production or the brilliance of our communication that's supposed to draw the the most attention. It's the way we live our lives together in fellowship with God and with one another. Interestingly, I was speaking to one church leader recently who admitted that his church seemed to have become more relational since they've not been able to meet on Sundays rather than less. So I'm inviting us to allow this prayer of Jesus to challenge us and provoke us today and to draw us into prayer ourselves. To ask God what more we can do to experience this kind of communion with him and with one another. Now this word communion has also of course come to be used to describe the breaking of bread and the sharing of wine that Jesus instituted for us. Jesus was actually taking part of the old covenant meal, the Passover, and investing it with new significance as a sign of the new covenant in him. The way to live in communion with God and with one another is through faith in Jesus Christ who gave his life for us. His death and his resurrection is the basis of our relationship with God and our relationships with one another. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 16 and 17, Paul said that the bread we break and the cup that we share is a participation, a sharing, a communion in the body and blood of Jesus. And that we are one body because we share in the same Jesus. Communion was never supposed to be reduced to a religious ceremony, but was always supposed to lead us into true communion, a sharing of life with Christ and with one another. We cannot physically share a meal with one another this morning. So in one sense, what we are about 
to do falls short of what it is intended for. But I do believe that this moment can be highly significant for us. Because this can become for us a statement of our intent, a commitment to pursue communion and fellowship with God through communion and fellowship with one another. And so as you prepare to eat the bread and drink the cup, I invite you to reflect and pray for a moment about the extent of your own commitment to communion and fellowship with God through meaningful communion and fellowship with others in the church. Lord, we remember your death and your resurrection. We remember your body that was broken and your blood that was shed so that we could enter into life with you, so that we could share in your life. Lord, you've commanded us to remain in your love by being obedient to your command to love and serve one another. You've called us and you've commissioned us to put your life on display through the life that we share with one another. And so as we receive this bread and this wine or juice, help us to give ourselves afresh to sharing the life you have given us with one another. Inspire us and teach us by your spirit, Lord, that we might find new and better ways of having fellowship and sharing life and having communion with you and with one another. Amen. We may be physically distant from one another, but we're going to sing together again right now. We're going to sing the creed that we sang earlier, but I've asked James to change the words from I believe to we believe uh, to help us express our unity through our shared belief together. God bless you.